today's sermon passage is Acts chapter 1, verses 1 through 11. In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up, after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which, he said, you heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, It is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus, who was taken up from you into heaven, will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. Let's pray together. Our Father and our God, we pray now that you would take these words which you have spoken to your people by your Spirit, and you would cause us to hear them, to receive them, to believe them, and to be changed by them. Lord, we pray for a renewed vision of your greatness, a renewed vision of your power, a renewed vision of your love, a renewed vision of your mercy, and a renewed vision of how you desire to use your people in your world. Lord, we pray that you would help us in this. We pray it now in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to thank you all for being with us again this morning. Um, here at Redeemer, we have been working through the uh, appearances of Jesus after his resurrection. So within the Bible story, the Son of God became a man, was born of a virgin in a manger, in a town called Bethlehem, grew into a man of great stature and wisdom who taught God's Word, who performed miraculous deeds, and who revealed that He was God's Son dwelling among God's people to bring God's salvation to them. Then this Jesus was arrested, crucified, and buried. 
On the third day, He rose from the dead. He was alive, declaring His victory over death. And what we've been doing over the last month or so is we've been looking at these appearances of Jesus where He showed Himself to be alive even though He once had been dead. Because we believe that in each of these encounters with the resurrected Jesus, there is something taught that's intended to shape how we think, to shape what our faith looks like, and to shape how we live. So today we look at chronologically, historically, what was the last of these encounters. Jesus is with His disciples, His followers. And in this encounter, He departs from them in a unique way that conveys to them that this season of appearances and appearing amongst His disciples to teach them and then disappearing, that, that this season is over. And that they're moving into a new phase. And so what I want you to do as we begin this morning is, is actually imagine that you're one of those disciples. You were with Jesus on the night that He was arrested. Wondering what's going to happen in the morning. You were with Him when He was beaten. You were there when He was crucified. You were there when they laid Him in the tomb and rolled the stone in front of the tomb. And and you were there in agony that evening wondering, what's next? What's going to happen? And then you were there on that resurrection Sunday morning when He appeared. Or you heard that He appeared. And you're left to spend the day wondering, what does that mean? And then you were there that evening when He appeared for you to see. And then He was gone. And then He appeared again. And then He was gone. And then He appeared again. And He was gone. And so as a disciple, a follower of Jesus during this time, a very fair question might be, what's next? And that's actually the first point that we want to consider this morning. Is I believe that they asked Jesus in verse 6 a very fair question. A a, a version of what's next. Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? Now to us that question seems a little bit obscure. A little bit strange. But what we see in the question is really them, the followers of Jesus, who've been on this roller coaster of emotions, this roller coaster of wondering, this roller coaster of exactly what's going on here, wondering what's the next big event that's going to happen. What's next? So we're told in this passage that that Jesus over the last 40 days has presented himself alive by many proofs. That's verse 3. And we're told that as he appeared, his message was about the kingdom of God. His message was 
about the work of God to build a group of faithful followers who would change the world for, the, for His glory. And it's right for them to ask the question, what's next? And, and so I think in verse 6, when they ask, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? It's really important what tone of voice we hear that question in. Because I don't think it's a bad question. I don't think it's a wrong question. I don't think it is necessarily even a misguided question. I think it was just a, a question of human wondering, is the time now? I mean, they believe that, that Jesus was God's Savior. They believed that the purpose of God's Savior was to redeem the people of Israel and establish a kingdom, a reign that would last forever. And they knew Jesus had told them that they needed to wait for it, but I mean, come on, we've waited 40 days. And that's like a magic number. So what's next? What's next? And what Jesus is going to do is he's going to instruct them what he wants them to be found doing next. And then we're told that something very unique happens. In verses 9, 10, and 11, we're told that Jesus physically ascends into the heavenly realm. Um, in biblical terms, this is called the ascension. It just literally means to ascend, to go upward. But Jesus, in all of these other appearances where he's been appearing, would just kind of appear and disappear. But in this one, he ascends. He goes upward into the clouds, into the heavenly realm. We can assume from this that he has left the earth to take his rightful place as the Messiah and the King who reigns at the right hand of the throne of God over all things. We're actually told a few chapters later in the book of Acts uh, that by a man named Stephen that, that he actually has seen the heavens open and Jesus standing at the right hand of the throne reigning over all things. So this is a unique moment. Jesus is ascending. And then after he ascends, we're told that there are two heavenly beings standing there with his disciples in white robes. And they said to the followers, men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. So, so what they are being instructed is this is a, a pivotal moment in the ministry and life of Jesus. This is a pivotal moment in the life of Jesus' followers. This is a pivotal moment in history. Jesus is ascending into the heavens. And, and this, this season of him appearing to his disciples to show that he is alive, this season is coming to an end. And so then, what that signals to the disciples is that what's next is different, what's next is unique, and what's next is, a, is an integral part 
in how Jesus is going to build his church and build his kingdom and build his following. So what I want us to do is I want us to look at what Jesus instructed his disciples. But I want you to believe that these instructions, while primarily for them, are are shaping for us. Let me say that a different way. What Jesus instructs the disciples was for their obedience. It was for their following after him. But these instructions are for us as well. So that leads to our second point, if, if you're a note-taking friend. Wait, witness, watch. Wait, witness, watch. So I've really buried three points into the second point. But what did Jesus instruct them to do? First, he instructed them to wait. <clears throat> Look at verse 4. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So he tells his followers to wait to receive the Holy Spirit. And then in verse 7, He says, it's not for you to know times or seasons that the Father Father has fixed by His own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And so Jesus is telling His followers to wait on the Spirit who will empower them for life and ministry. What Jesus is saying to His disciples is, I'm leaving But I'm also sending. I'm sending the Holy Spirit to dwell in you and among you to strengthen you and to empower you and to help you. And so what what we are to take from this is Jesus has ascended into heaven. He is not physically with us on the earth, but he sent his spirit so that we are not alone. We live In Christ, by the power of the Spirit. We have faith in Christ by the power of the Spirit. We have strength in Christ by the power of the Spirit. We know the work of God among us and the presence of Christ among us through the Spirit. The Spirit is now God with us. God's presence in us and among us to help us walk in Christ comes through the Spirit whom He sent. Now for these first disciples, they had to wait. They stayed in Jerusalem and they waited for the Spirit to come. The Spirit came upon all of them a few chapters later over in Acts chapter 2. The Scriptures tell us that this Spirit comes to all who believe in Christ. The Scriptures tell us that this Spirit comes to all who are converted, who all who belong to Jesus. But Jesus wanted His disciples to know He was not leaving them alone, and He wanted His disciples to know that they would have help in following Him, help in trusting Him, help 
in being faithful, help in building His church, because He was sending His Spirit. Now, I actually think there is much help in our discipleship to think deeply about the work of the Holy Spirit. Most Christians in our traditions don't think deeply about the work of the Holy Spirit. This morning we can kind of just scratch the surface. Let me give you some some helps to think deeply about the Holy Spirit. First, in the book of John, in, in chapters 14, 15, and 16, Jesus teaches extensively about the Helper, the Holy Spirit who was to come, and what He would mean to the followers of Jesus. One example is John chapter 16, beginning in verse 7. And this was even hard to get our minds around. Jesus said, I tell you the truth, it's to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the Helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he'll convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father. And you'll see me no longer. Concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. I choose to believe that this passage is true because Jesus said it. But I can't imagine it being to our advantage that Jesus goes away except that the Spirit is God with us and able to minister to His people and worthy of our worship, just like Jesus is. Second, if you want to think more deeply about the work of the Holy Spirit, I would encourage you to read Romans chapter 8. The theme of Romans chapter 8 is the power of the Spirit at work in the life of believers. In Romans 8, we get these these rich promises that we love to cling to, like nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus because of the presence of the indwelling Spirit who is God. So Jesus told his followers to wait for the Spirit to come. If we're in Christ today, we don't have to wait for the Spirit to come because he's here. But we need to know of his presence and walk with him. Galatians chapter 5 tells us to keep in step with the Spirit who dwells within us. Second, Jesus tells his followers that they will be his witnesses. So he said, wait, and then he said, witness. Jesus said, you will receive power, and in particular, the power is to help you be my witnesses. 
witnesses of the ministry and the life and the teaching and the death and the burial and the resurrection and the appearings and the ascension of Jesus. Jesus is saying, I will build my kingdom through my followers who are my witnesses. Witnesses don't create truth. They tell of what they experienced. Witnesses don't create conversions. They tell of what they've experienced of God's mercy through Christ by the power of the Spirit. Witnesses in and of themselves and of their own power don't build churches. They tell of Jesus. Often, church, we, we complicate we complicate this work of sharing the gospel when really all we're doing is telling of what we've seen, what we've heard, what we've believed, and what we've experienced, and what he's done, and we let him save through that message. Jesus says to his disciples, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem. That's where you are now. In all Judea and Samaria, not a part of it, but all of it, you're going to have to intentionally get the message there. And to the end of the earth. In all directions. So Jesus is commissioning. He is sending. He is saying to His followers, you know Me and you are in Me. And one purpose of why you are here now is to be My witnesses. And one reason why I sent My Spirit to dwell in you is to empower your witness of Me. What Jesus is saying is, I will build My church, but I will do it by the power of the Spirit at work in you. The people of Jesus are the carriers of the gospel. And in the book of Acts that we're looking at today, if you want to think more about this, read the book of Acts. Because what Jesus, what happens in the book of Acts is we see the apostles and the disciples and the followers empowered by the Spirit doing the work of Jesus to take the gospel to Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And friends, today, Christ wants us to live in and walk in the power of the Spirit, and He wants us to be His witnesses. Christ saved us to be His witnesses. And in my very quarantined world, I can't help but think about my neighbors. There's never been a moment in my decade in my neighborhood that someone was more willing to talk to me from six feet away than right now. We're all up in the backyard every night together. And Christ wants me and us and you to be his witnesses. Third, watch. Wait, witness, watch. Now, there's a bit of a linguistic stretch here. 
because, you know, they had to all be W's or I'm not a good preacher. And I'd already used wait, so I had to use watch. But it's not watch like with your eyeballs. It's watch as in a disposition of being prepared and eager. Actually, the angelic beings look at the disciples and say, don't stand there and stare in the heavens waiting on him to come back, but go and do all that he told you understanding that he will come back and he'll come back in such a way that you won't miss it. So what's important here is Jesus wants his followers to know that he will return. And when he returns, he will bring to final completion and final consummation all the things that he has promised. Rather than building a spiritual kingdom that is... is um, is, is, is in more of the spiritual realm and is not as visible and tangible, he will come and he will build a, a, a total kingdom where there are no longer enemies and there are no longer foes, but everyone who is will exist to worship him and for him and for his purposes. And, and what we're told in this passage is that when he comes back, you won't miss it. You'll know. It'll be clear. But he is coming back. So watch here is not mere physical looking. It is a, a disposition of a preparedness and a disposition of eagerness. But let's get this straight, friends. Only those who know Christ, only those who live by faith, only those whose sins are forgiven, only those who've been translated from the kingdom of darkness to the translated to the kingdom of light can eagerly and preparedly long for Jesus to come back because when he comes back, he's righting all the wrongs. And when he comes back, he is doing away with all of his enemies. And when he comes back, there will only be those who belong to him and serve his kingdom. So to be prepared is to know Christ. And if we don't know Christ, we are not prepared. But we who know Christ, we labor understanding that this world is but a shadow. We labor understanding that we only have the foretaste of the heavenly banquet that is to come. And so we savor the foretaste, and yet we long for when he returns. So this passage says, Christ has ascended. To the disciples, he says, wait, witness, watch. I believe what he's saying to us Trust the Spirit. Walk in the power of the Spirit. Be my witnesses. And be eagerly prepared and longing for His return. Now, this guidance, this calling, is not everything we need to know to live as the church. And it's not everything we need to know to live as as followers of Jesus. But I can say this with great biblical affirmation. Our calling is never less than this. As the children of God, saved by the blood of Jesus, we are always and everywhere called upon to live in the power of the Spirit, to be witnesses of the great things that Christ has done who he is, and why he is a worthy Messiah, and to wait eagerly for his return. To never be overly comfortable in this world, 
because there is something greater in Christ. So church, as we think about living for the resurrected Jesus, I want to invite you to live in this way, in this power, for God's glory. If you're with us today and you're wrestling to understand how it all fits together, we'd love to talk that through with you. We'd love to help you wrestle it down. But know this. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, came, lived, taught, died, and rose again so the sinful people could find forgiveness and life in him. The scripture says we're all sinful people, which means we all need him. I invite you to him. And if you know him, believe in him, love him, walk with him, let's be found walking in the power of the Spirit, living as his witnesses, eager for his return. So now our God and our Father, we pray that you would accomplish great things in us and through us today. We praise you for your goodness and your glory and your mercy. Be at work among us, we pray now in Jesus' name. Amen.